0: Lord, thanks for your goodness, and Lord, I do pray that you'd guide us and lead us now by your spirit, through your word, that you would just have your way with us, Lord. Thanks for all you do in our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. Daniel chapter 10. Now, as we've mentioned, uh, Daniel 1 through 6 are largely historical chapters. They're sort of the events of Daniel's life. Again, to review the overview, the context, the situation historically where we're at, uh, the nation of of Israel, the Jewish people were divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was called Judah. The northern kingdom was called Israel. Uh, The northern kingdom of Israel was carried off by the Assyrian empire in 722 BC. The southern kingdom of Judah was carried off by the Babylonian empire in three successive waves, 605 B.C., 597 B.C., and 586 B.C. Finally in 586 B.C. they were basically destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed, and everybody was finally carried off to cap- captive to Babylon. Daniel finds himself being one of the captives in Babylon. They stay there, uh, and they're captive for 70 years, according to the prophecy of Jeremiah, which actually came true literally. And in, after 70 years of captivity, the Medes and Persians took over the Babylonian Empire, and as, a, as such, they inherited those Jewish captives. And so in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, which was also Darius the Mede, who, uh, you know, don't be confused by that, uh, there's multiple kings at multiple times. Does that make sense? You read in the, in the book of Acts, King Agrippa, right, is one of the, Uh, guys that Paul has a trial in front of, he's called King Agrippa, but we also know that King Caesar was also on the throne, right? So uh, in this time period, it would appear from the historical uh, narrative that that Darius the Mede kind of came in and conquered uh, the Babylonian Empire, Cyrus the Persian uh, was over all that, they worked that together, and Cyrus the Persian in in his first year uh, issued a decree that the Jewish people could go back to uh, rebuild uh, Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, uh, and all of that. And that was the first of that. We've talked about that along the way. Fair enough? So Daniel's one of those captives now of the Medo-Persian Empire that was inherited from the Babylonian Empire. And that's where we find the setting here. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. That was the name the Babylonians gave to him uh, when they were trying to culturally indoctrinate him. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. So the third year of Cyrus now, while Cyrus is king of Persia, uh, would be about, um, I believe, 536 BC. Um, and this would be two years after Cyrus issued that decree that the Jewish people could go back. Now, interestingly, I don't know, maybe this is a bit of a side note, the book of Ezra tells us that 50,000 Jewish people went back when Cyrus said, hey, anybody can go back and we'll pay for it, right? Can you, like if, you, if your boss said, hey, you guys take a, go move somewhere and we'll pay for it. Go move to your homeland, we'll pay for it. Rebuild your temple, we'll pay for it. That's really, I mean, it was, it was really a blank check in a sense that Cyrus wrote, but only 50,000 of the Jewish people took him up on it. And so many of them stayed back in Babylon, which I believe uh, many commentators say speaks to, you know, once you kind of get settled into your comfort zone, even if it's in a pagan nation, it's kind of easy to stay there, right? Maybe that's a message to us today, right? We live in a nation that's not exactly uh, uh, biblically diligent, let's say. We live in a nation that likes its comfort even likes its paganism, even likes to redefine truth. And so it's probably a good thing. I mean, I'm not suggesting anybody move. Where would you go? (laughs) You know, uh, Paul says, hey, I didn't say to leave a sinful world because if you did, you'd have to find a new planet. Um, But the reality is we need to be very careful that we're not too anchored into the uh, affairs of this world. I like what um, Paul tells Timothy. You know, a a soldier in active combat doesn't become entangled in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one that enlisted him as a soldier. That's a great word. So anyway, 50,000 of the Jews have gone back. This is two years later. Uh, Daniel's hanging out, and he's going to get a message. A message was revealed to him. A message is true, but the appointed time was long. In verse 2, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now, we have here, Daniel is mourning. We don't know why he was mourning. Some say he was mourning because only 50,000 of the Jews went back. That's a very legitimate possibility. Some say he was mourning because it says that the message was true, but the appointed time was long. Well, Daniel is probably in his mid-80s by this time, right? If you get a, if you get a prophecy in your mid-80s, and the messenger tells you, this is going to be a long time from now, right? That means you're probably not going to see it, right? So he might have been mourning because of that. He might have been mourning because uh, there was some opposition uh, to rebuilding the the temple there in Jerusalem from the local people. We don't really know why he was mourning, but we know that he was mourning. And we know that he undertook what we would call a partial fast. You know, there are different kinds of fasts in the Bible. Sometimes we see people fast From everything but water, right? Sometimes we uh, we see people fast of certain things. And so there's no real prescribed religious ritual that's clearly identified as what needs to happen if we undertake a fast. Just know that that's between you and the Lord. Know this, that Jesus said, when you fast, this is how you should do it. And he said, you know, don't, make a big show of it, basically. He didn't say, if you fast, he said, when you fast. And so fasting is a, a reasonable part of our prayer life. It kind of uh, gives us time to maybe focus on the Lord, maybe something that we set aside that we, you know, I've heard of people that have uh, a media fast. Think that might clear your head a little bit if we had a media fast? Yeah, yeah, that's a reasonable thing, right? Uh, maybe uh, a fast from whatever your whatever your thing is, uh, but in Daniel's case here, he's and maybe because he's old and you know physically, a complete fast might be too much for him. I don't know. It doesn't tell us, and we don't need to know. We know Daniel's a man of prayer, right? And so uh, this fast is adequate for what the Lord had for Sam for Daniel. He says he fasted for three whole weeks. He persisted in prayer. He persisted in prayer. And we'll get to that a little more in a minute. We'll elaborate on that. He says, now, verse 4, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold like Ufas. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Now, who is this? And so, different commentators, some commentators say this is an angel, and the reason they might say that is, we see, look in verse 10, it says, suddenly a hand touched me which made me tremble, and... Uh, we're going to read, and then that carries off the rest of the chapter. There's a hand that touched, touches Daniel, and uh, this being, whatever it is, speaks to Daniel. And one of the things that this being is going to tell Daniel is that he needed help from another angel. Now, if it's does Jesus need help from anybody? No. However, this description of this uh, a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold like Uphaz, his body was like barrel his face the appearance of lightning his eyes like torches of fire his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color that's a pretty consistent description with the description in Revelation chapter 1 of none other than Jesus Christ so in in Revelation chapter 1 we see a description of you know a guy like this we're not really told who it was but then we hear that this this person said you know, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning of the end, and, and what he says clearly identifies him as Jesus. So my personal bit, and this is a, maybe why I go back and forth a little bit with this, is to tell you not everything's black and white in Scripture, and if God doesn't make it black and white, it doesn't have to be black and white. But we let the Scripture interpret Scripture, and we kind of come up with the best we can come up with. Is that fair? All right. So I believe this is a description of Jesus, and I, dis- I believe that in chapter 10 or in verse 10 we see a description of an angel that maybe came alongside jesus maybe jesus you know uh gets daniel's attention and then the angel's going to talk to him that's just my personal feeling uh you can study and come up with whatever you whatever you like and there's uh room for that verse 7 and i daniel alone saw the vision for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves." Now, you know there's a thing. On one hand, maybe you go through this sort of mental exercise at times. Do you ever go through this mental exercise? Don't raise your hand. Where you say, you know I wonder if we really did just evolve from soup and Maybe I'm kidding myself about this God thing, right? If you do that once in a while, that's okay. You're worried about what I was going to say. That's okay. It's okay to look up in the sky and say, I can come up with no other conclusion than God did this and I should glorify him. That's okay. That's actually reasonable that's actually logical and as you kind of go through that sort of dialogue in your head it's okay to evaluate and uh you know what about our scripture Does, is it historically valid and all of those sorts of things and it's okay and the more you do that frankly the stronger uh, your foundation will be in a lot of ways to stand on and you and you and You know, even if you don't come to a a biblical worldview as a result of that, many people without a biblical worldview, they come up with all kinds of crazy things, right? Like, wow, there must be some... I don't even want to speculate on them. But, you know, you've heard them, right? There's all kinds of... I mean, everybody has sort of an awareness that there seems to be more than what we can see and touch. Right? And so if there's more than what we can see and touch in terms of creation, in terms of our existence, and we would identify that as God, would it not also make sense to say there's a spiritual element in our daily lives that's relevant to our daily lives, not just our existence way back when we were born, or when humanity, you know, when Adam and Eve were were created? Yeah, God didn't just say let there be light and then put everything on autopilot, right? And we know that from, to be true from the scripture. God is very involved in the lives of, of his children. And so uh, God is very involved in, in our lives. Here's the piece of that, though. If we're not sort of aware of that and in tune with that and have some biblical understanding of that, it can seem scary. Is that fair? If we don't understand the demonic world, that can seem scary. If we don't have a solid working knowledge of the scripture, and we encounter the demonic, or even the angelic world, even the the good angelic world, it can be overwhelming, right? So it doesn't tell us which of Daniel's Friends were there. We don't know if it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, but anyway, Daniel's all alone because uh, the guys that were with him, great terror fell upon them, and they fled. And in life, in this, as we navigate this Christian life, please hear me, as we navigate this Christian life, we need to do it with resilience. There will be some that will flee. There will be some that will say, this is too much for me. I can't handle it. You know, I, I notice this as a, as a physician, there's some people that can't face the reality of the fact that we're mortal. This life will end. You talk about it, nope, not going to talk about it. Rather stick my head in the sand, pretend it doesn't happen. How well prepared do you think those people are when they do get sick? Not very not very you know on the other hand there are people that know that we're pilgrims passing through this existence for however many decades God allows and the next existence is way better and God is in control and you know they have this sort of uh, whatever happens happens and it's not like they're ambivalent or suicidal or anything like that they're just they got the right perspective and I can tell you, as, as patients, they come into their doctor sort of revealing that without even telling their worldview. It's pretty striking. So anyway, Daniel stands on his feet. He's going to be a little overwhelmed, to be fair. But the other guys, it's too much for him. Let's not say to, uh, about us that uh, living the Christian life is too much for us. So it's important that we don't sort of force the spiritual realm, right? You ever notice that some people, you know, I'm, you know, my middle toe on my right foot, you know, the one the grandkids call roast beef, right? And <laughs> to do the, yeah, roast beef. You know, roast beef, my roast beef's been hurting lately, right? I got an ingrown toenail on, on roast beef on my right. Not enough of my problems. But, you know, some people would say, man, that demon of, the hangnail on my roast beef, my right foot. It's been oppressive it's been lately. Right? Don't do that. Just say my toe hurts. Right? Sometimes we can sometimes we can like sort of almost imagine this this dimension that it's almost like, no, dude, you just need to get out of bed and live your life, right? So don't like over acknowledge it, right? But also don't ignore it. Don't under acknowledge it, right? Is there a demonic element out there? You bet there is. I was talking to somebody yesterday. You know, one of my pieces, if I I may for a minute, when I'm when I'm doing that whole thing in my mind like is God real and is, you know, do we evolve out of soup and all that kind of stuff? I think okay, so if we evolved out of soup, then we're basically just survivalist animals. Right? Well, one of the arguments against that is the capacity for evil that human beings can undertake. Human beings have the capacity for, I believe, a supernatural degree of evil. We've seen it in, in national regimes, even within the last hundred years, lest we think we're, you know, so far along that we're super sophisticated, civilized human beings. No. Not as long as there's evil in the world. Not as long as there is evil in the world. And there is evil in the world. There are demonic forces in the world, and they're real. Now, 2 Timothy chapter two, uh, chapter 1, verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We need to not be afraid of them, right? Our main reason is uh, uh, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, right? Damien Kyle says that's the four by four you hit the demon over the head with. I like that. So 4 by 4 you're going to remember that now. Uh, 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out fear. So we need not be afraid of the demonic element, right? And the reason we're not afraid is not because we're so tough. It's because of Jesus. It's because greater is he, the Holy Spirit, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That's why and how we stand against the demonic world. But we don't ignore the demonic world. So, verse 8. It says, Therefore, I was left alone I saw, when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty, frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. So clearly Daniel's overwhelmed. He's so overwhelmed that he's physically weak and exhausted. You know, I'm going to tell you this. Faithfulness to the Lord can be tiresome. We need rest at times. Engaging in spiritual warfare can be tiresome. And, you know, maybe it's because faithfulness is hard. Maybe Daniel, you know, again, we said he was in his mid-80s. You know, maybe God just knew that, that... him being physically weak and frail was where God wanted him to be. You know, Paul said, "My great." You know, Paul had the thorn in his flesh. You remember this? Paul had a thorn in his flesh. What did she call it? And he, we don't know exactly what it was, but there was some kind of physical weakness that the Apostle Paul had, and it bothered him enough that he says he prayed three times for God to remove it. And by the way, if you're here today and you have some kind of physical thing and you feel like, man, God, I prayed and and God hasn't healed me in the way I want. Well, he didn't heal Paul either. Does that mean God's not able to? Not at all. Paul's, God's answer to Paul, Paul said he prayed three times that God would deliver him from this thing, whatever it was, and God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes, I want to say this as sensitively as I can, Sometimes your pain or your weakness is God's best for you. And sometimes it's not necessarily something to be delivered from. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. And so Daniel here, he's very weakened. He's frail. He's overwhelmed. And then suddenly, verse 10 a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. So now this hand, I believe, is a, uh, again, the scripture doesn't specify, but I believe this is an angel now, whereas the, the first appearance was of Jesus. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Now I want you to if you're a note taker or an underliner, underline verse 11. If you're not, that's fine. But I want to highlight this verse 11. I believe this verse 11 gives us tremendous insight into how God deals with us. And again, this guy's a messenger. Who is he a messenger from? He's a messenger from God. The word messenger, the word angel is translated messenger. So this guy is a messenger uh, from God. And here's the message. Oh, Daniel. He calls him by name. He's personal. How does God deal with you? By name. He's personal. It seems like It's kind of an easy thing, I think, to overlook. But know this, God deals with you very personally. Jesus died for you very personally. If you were the only human being on the face of the earth through all of history, and you were a sinner, which you would have been born a sinner, Jesus would have died on a cross for you personally. It's not a religion. It's not a system. It's not a higher power. It's Jesus Christ Christ. God became man, lived a perfect, sinless life, willingly died on a cross, all for you personally. And he rose from the dead to overcome death and the consequences of death for you personally and for me personally. So it's not insignificant that he says, Oh, Daniel, oh, Daniel. What else does he say? What's the next thing he says? Man greatly beloved. Man greatly beloved. The second thing this messenger wants Daniel to know is that he's beloved. He's loved by God. Now, if you were here last week, I won't ask for a show of hands. If you were here last week, I talked about, like, back in the day when we had farm animals. Remember this story? If you were here last week, maybe you were asleep. I'll do it again. We had farm animals and we, you know, used to try to herd them into the barn with uh, these PVC pipes and kind of funnel them into the barn. And then one day I realized if you just walk in front of them with a, uh, a scoop of food and shake it, you don't, have to, you don't have to beat anybody into submission, right? It's a great, it, to me, it's like it's like stuck in my head, hopefully for the rest of my life. And the reality is I could say, hey, I want you guys to all show up at church. I want everybody to be here at church. I want you to, to tithe and I want you to... Uh, do all the things that I think you ought to do, and uh, let's all get in the collective spiritual barn together. Or I could just try to lead as God leads me and shake the food and say, God loves you. God loves you. He died for you. Now you do whatever is fitting with that. Which is a better way to motivate a human being? The second I'll tell you even one better. 8-year-old grandson from whom most of my good metaphors come. My 8-year-old grandson, right? Some of you know our layout, right? We got a barn, we got a house here and a barn down here, right? 8-year-old grandson is uh, a child of a of an outnumbered mother. Right? And so, uh the youngest sisters down by the barn and mom wants grandson to usher sister up to the house. You know what he's doing? He's got his hands out. He's trying to guide her out to the house. He said, I need Papa's sticks that he was talking about. And that wasn't, wor- guess what? It wasn't working. Now, if you know the inner workings in the Murphy house, you walk in the kitchen, you make a right, you turn left, back in the corner, just to the left of the fridge, second shelf up, there's always chocolate chips up there in a little plastic container. When you come to our house, help yourself to the chocolate chips. They're always there. Little Joseph, right? He forgets that PVC stick idea. He runs to the house, goes and gets uh, a container of chocolate chips, runs down to the barn, Tells his sister, hey, come on, let's go to the house. (laughs) Easy peasy. Piece of cake. Right? Herding 101. Right? From an eight-year-old. By the way, I'd be remiss to not point out, that's an eight-year-old that sat in here, in Big People Church. Right? And captured a lesson. Frankly a lesson that I've known CEOs of organizations don't know. I've known lots of CEOs over the years that are still reaching for sticks, right? And my eight-year-old grandson sits in here and hears the simple teaching of God's word, right? And I believe he's, got an, he's prepared for a, for a level of insight that supersedes the stick thing. It's powerful. It's powerful. Don't lose it, right? Right? And by the way, uh, and part of this, this is one of the things about this church. Parents, you want your kids in here? Bring them on, right? Yeah, uh, you know, if they're screaming, you know, after 10 or 15 minutes, if they're not going to settle down, we've got speakers outside, so you don't have to be embarrassed or whatever like that, and everybody turn around and look at you and say, "Who's, you know, which kid is screaming, right? But I want kids to be welcome here. I want the ages to integrate here. One of the the beauties of this church, I believe, is that the generations can enjoy and appreciate each other. So God bless you guys for that. So God loves you is the bait that drives us, right? God loves you is the bait that drives us. Oh, Daniel, man, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you. How does God deal with us? He calls us by a name he lets us know that he's greatly beloved and he gives us his word and now after all that and stand upright for I've now been sent to you while you was speaking this word to me I stood trembling I believe it's no coincidence or accident that after Daniel is physically overwhelmed he's 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 exhausted he's on his face God brings, him, God, God brings a messenger who calls him by name, who reminds him that he's loved, who speaks his word to him, and then Daniel is able to stand up because he's now not standing up in his own strength. Too often we uh, stand in our own strength. We have a religious system, and really what we need is to know that God loves us. We need fellowship with God, and then everything else will drive that. I finished a book this week, the Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. It's sort of one of these... You know, you have these... Uh, there's these Christian classics. You always hear about a Christian classic, right? Many of you know this is, a, this is considered a Christian classic. And um, Christian classics are ones that we all quote, but we don't read, right? So I, anyway, I was convicted recently. I thought, you know, I'm going to read that. And here's what he wrote in 1948. He says, Right now, we are in the age of religious complexity. The simplicity which is in Christ is rarely found among us. In its stead are programs, methods, organizations, and a world of nervous activities which occupy time and attention but can never satisfy the longing of the heart. Is that powerful? Is that powerful? You know, there's this thing, as we as we sort of enter in this 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 life we call Christianity. I I, I look at it like this. I believe there's like there's like layer one, right? Learn how to quit cussing <laughs> or drinking or whatever your thing is, right? Learn how to stop that stuff. Layer two, like go to church and do Christiany stuff. Layer three, have a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit and hang out with him, and know that he loves you, and know that it's personal, it's based on his love, it's got nothing to do with religion. Now, as we know that, will we stop cussing? Probably. Stop drinking? Probably. God does all that, though. God does that in his way and his time. You'll never hear me beat you up out of that. But it's not a religious system. It's a relationship with God. So, verse 12, he says, Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. So God wants us to not fear. God wants us to come. God wants us to uh, approach him. God wants us to have fellowship with him. And now look what he says. This is, This is really fascinating. He says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I have been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. And so this angel, he said, you know, I started to head out your way. You know, I heard you praying 21 days ago, started to head out your way, but I I got hindered by the demon over the kingdom of Persia, which is now modern-day Iran. Is it possible that there's maybe some demonic forces behind the nation of Iran? It's possible. Yeah, it's way possible. Throughout Scripture. And so we see this element now that we get insight this is probably the one passage really the one verse in all of scripture that sort of gives us this level of understanding and insight into the demonic world but number one spiritual warfare is real there are good angels and there are fallen angels uh the demonic world didn't want daniel to receive this message they don't want us to hear god you hear this the demonic world does not want us to hear the word of god you hear this the demonic world does not want us to hear the word of God. So you know what they do? They put on their pitch they put on their red suits and gets their pitchfork, and any time anybody starts to preach, they start to poke at them. Is that how they do it? No, they make us tired. They make us they invented the snooze alarm. Right? They made us uh they made us party a little too hard on Saturday night. We'll catch church next week. They made us just not care. And they made churches replace the word of God with programs, methodologies, cute stories, and fables. They don't use pitchforks anymore. We use those to prod the animals. Just kidding. Notice also there's a prince of Persia. This is a demon. It's not a man, it's a a demon. There are other references to demonic uh, beings, Um, even Satan himself in Ezekiel 28 is referred to as the king of Tyre. But as he describes this king of Tyre, he says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. It's clearly a description of Satan before the fall. Ezekiel 28. And so uh, this is clearly, this this, this uh, prince of the kingdom of Persia is sort of the demonic uh, leader. It appears there's some kind of demonic hierarchy of, of demons, right? There's like a demon in charge of, of Persia. Probably has a, uh, some kind of organized uh, structure underneath him and, and probably answers to Satan himself, right? And they're demonic. Uh, forces, organized demonic uh, realms, it would appear, that oversee all of this. And notice here he says, "Um, the Prince of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So Michael came and helped this, uh, this messenger overcome the Prince of Persia. And again, we see this whole thing play out. Now notice I want to bring one other thing up before we leave this verse. It says that Daniel was praying for 21 days. He was mourning. He was fasting for 21 days. The angel, it appears, was dispatched, because he said also 21 days. The angel was dispatched 21 days ago and got hindered and then got the help from Michael and now is here after 21 days. Now. How do we approach prayer? Like uh, shopping on Amazon? Dear God, please fix my problem. Right? Dear God, I'd like to buy this. Dear God, I feel sick. Right? Click the box, move on. Is that how we think sometimes? it's how we think sometimes. You know, I think it's critical that we all pray. I think it's critical that we pray for one another. I think it's critical that we pray for one another's needs. We're told in Scripture to do that. But can I tell you this? Maybe the greatest prayer need we have is to persist in that relationship with the Lord enough that we understand the value of that persistence, right? What would our lives be like? How deep would our lives be? How significant would our lives be if we had sort of a, an internet shopping prayer life? I pray, he gives me what I want, I pray, he gives me what I want, I pray, he gives me what I want. We'd be shallow people, would we not? If Daniel is forced to pray for 21 days before the messenger comes and we get an insight into the spiritual dimension that these angels are basically fighting with each other on Daniel's behalf, then that tells me that there's some value in persistence in prayer. Some value that we may not understand. We're not, we may not get a vision like this like Daniel did. It's not to say we won't, but we may not. And so, uh, to me, the take-home message here is that spiritual warfare is real, and Daniel was a man who persisted. And so, God here gave Daniel the opportunity to persist. So when he had spoken such words to me, verse 15, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men, touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, for, nor is there any breath left in me. And so he's just overwhelmed by the whole scene. He's acknowledging that he's, that he's overwhelmed, he's weakened, he's, you know, he's, he's undone. And then verse 18 again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, "Oh man, again, check this. This is a repetition of verse 11. Oh man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong." Yes, be strong. So when the, he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, "Let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me." Now, so often as we read this chapter, we see, you know, we read this chapter if 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 you're a Bible student and and you had on a on a trivia test or something like that what's Daniel 10 about you know the right answer on the trivia test that's the one that talks about the the demonic realm and the prince of the kingdom of Persia and and all of that which it is but I like also and for my personal life I like this is the chapter that gives us insight into Daniel's intimacy with the Lord Daniel's perspective goes like this, I saw this, I had this encounter with God, I was completely overwhelmed and on my face and had no physical strength left in me, no strength on my own, no strength on my own, no strength on my own. The angel came to me and said, Daniel, you're greatly beloved. I want to speak the word to you. I want to give you strength that's not your own. And then again, he repeats, fear not, you are greatly beloved, oh man, greatly beloved, don't be afraid, fear not, peace be to you, be strong. What kind of strength does Daniel have? Is it his own strength, or is the strength that the, that the Lord gives him? It's the strength that the Lord gives him. And by the way, the Lord gives him that strength only after he's been completely humbled. And physically weakened and overwhelmed by the goodness and the presence of God. It's a great model for us. Yes, this chapter tells us about spiritual warfare, but it also tells us about our relationship with God from man's perspective. Don't rely on your own strength. That's a great way for failure. That's a great way for failure. Don't rely on a religious system. That's a great way to be disillusioned and to fail. Rely on a personal encounter with the Lord and let him be our strength. The joy of the Lord is what? Our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I love the order of this. All of that comes after Daniel is undone. He is humbled and he has no vitality, no strength. God loves to work in our weakness. I mean, to me, the point of this chapter is my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. This is really the Old Testament corollary of that. So he goes on. Then he said, do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth, no one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. So somehow this angel's telling him, I got to go back and do more more warfare with the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece and, you know, I got you covered, but I'm going to I got to go to work. I've given you this message, I've strengthened you, and now I'm going to go to work. Right? And then that kind of sets the stage for the vision you recall back up in the verse uh, one, he told us that he, was get, he got a vision. Chapter 11 and 12 kind of carry out the details of the vision. So uh, we'll, we'll see that next week. So regarding spiritual warfare, number one, don't deny its existence, but don't overemphasize it. It's real, but it's not our focus. What's our focus? Our, who is our focus? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Know that First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, be vigilant, be sober. I like uh, what the NIV says, be on the alert. For your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he, he, whom he may devour. Is he real? He's real, right? But James 4, 7, and 8 says, uh, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. And then, I just want to wrap up just real briefly. I'm just going to read through this. Ephesians chapter 6, clearly the sort of the go-to in the New Testament regarding spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. What should we be strong in? The Lord. Daniel was very weak in himself, but very strong in the Lord. Paul carries that into the New Testament. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I want you to point this out. I want to point this out for a second. Notice as I read these, I'm going to read these next few verses. I want you to notice how prominently the word stand is in these verses. So how do we fight? Do we come out swinging at the devil? No, we stand. What do we stand on? We stand on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We stand on Jesus. We, we, we let Jesus fight the devil for us. Right? We put on the whole armor of God. He equips us for this battle. He knows that we're here on earth and this is an ugly earth. Right? Demonically speaking. He knows that this is a, is a hostile environment for a child of God. And so he equips us to live accordingly. But he does the fighting. Make no mistake about it. There's, there's really not a lot of offense. The only, the only offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But notice this. He says... Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know, you your fight with that co-worker or with that person that lives with you or whatever probably is not so much that fight, but it's, it's, it's either your flesh or uh, perhaps the da- demonic world that's, that's trying to trip you up. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to what? Stand. Stand firm. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. We need to know the truth of God's word. Truth is seriously in question in our day to day. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, if we have a breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate guards us against weapons of the enemy, right? And honestly, if we've had the unfortunate experience of trying to live a double life of unrighteousness and trying to follow the Lord at the same time, what do we find ourselves? We find ourselves vulnerable, right? I wouldn't go to battle without proper armor, right? The breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We know that Jesus died for us, and that's what what we stand on. Above all, taking the shield of faith. We have faith. We exercise faith with a shield with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation. We're saved. We are saved. We're going to heaven when we die. We're saved. we were born into sin. Jesus' blood on the cross saved us from our sin. That is salvation. That's the helmet, and that protects our mind. The helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, just like Daniel did, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. What a great way to live. Is it boring? It's not boring. Right. Is it overwhelming? Sometimes. Is it okay to be overwhelmed sometimes? Yeah. But God's not giving us a spirit of fear. If you're overwhelmed in your own self, yeah, that's, that's a good thing. That makes us ready to be used by God, right? That puts us on our knees so that, so that he can come and he can say, Oh, Daniel, greatly beloved, hear the word of the Lord. Be strong, stand up, fear not. All of those things. And, and with those things in our tool chest or in our armor, if you will, right, we can navigate even a hostile world all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for your goodness. Thanks for your love and your grace and your mercy. We do pray that you would just help us to be diligent in our prayer life. Help us to be diligent in our faithfulness to you. Help us to not rely on our own strength, but in yours and yours alone. And help us to live lives that bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome week.